0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Father, help me. Help us all today to hear what you have to say, Lord, to hear your word, Father, and to, to appreciate it, and not just to hear it, but to, to do it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the last portion of um, Second Timothy. We're going to be going through verses, um, so we're going to be going through chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. And you know what, they gave me the hard part. Uh, That's it, that's what I needed, thank you. Thank you. Um, So let's read it. Chapter Four, Second Timothy chapter 4, um, verses nine to 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with me, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greek Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onsiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left um, Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Puddins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit Grace be with you. So the life of this of our church, of this church, Calvary Chapel, South London, is a it's a bit it's a bit chaotic. It's a bit disorganized. It's true of any church. On the surface, it may be well ordered. Things are it looks like things are running smoothly. But actually it's a bit of a it's a bit of madness, it's a bit chaotic. There's all sorts of different people rushing around, doing or not doing different things. Some from good intentions, some from bad intentions. Most of us have mixed intentions, some getting on with one another, some not getting on with others, some love, some loyalty, some jealousy, gossip, joy, sorrow, fellowship, loneliness. It's a, bit, it's a bit chaotic, and behind the chaos of church life, there is the Lord, and He knows exactly what He's doing. And that's what—that's just like this portion of Scripture that we've got here in Second Timothy. So what we're going to do is, in this last passage of Timothy, is to look at the chaos and the Lord behind the chaos. If you've been with us for the last few weeks in Second Timothy, you will, you will be well into this letter. Paul in a dungeon in Rome, probably awaiting execution. Timothy, his younger missionary companion in Ephesus, looking after the church there. This is a difficult passage. Lots of names. It's got about 18 names. It's got greetings, warnings, and other stuff. So what I'm going to try and do is, first of all, I'm going to simply talk through, talk through the chaos, talk through the madness. We're going to go through the verses. We'll just talk right through um, from start to finish, so that we know who's where, what's where, what's going on, and so on. After that, I want to make four practical points: um, two about ourselves, and a two about the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me remind you where we've, where we've just come from, in the whole of Timothy. So in chapter one, God entrusting, he's tr- entrusting to us his truth so that we can pass f- down from generation to generation. That's what Paul is doing with Timothy. He, has, he was expecting him to continue to pass it down. And this is the gospel, he's expecting to pass it down. So Paul knows that the time he has left on earth is short. He prays for Timothy every day. He, remi- he remembers Timothy's tears, he remembers his faith, which was encouraged by his mum and his grandma, and he encourages him to keep going. Maybe Timothy hearing about all the emperor is doing is make it, it's making him feel like walking away. And that's like some of us here today. You know, some of us might, might be thinking, you know, it's easier just to walk away than to, to stay here being a Christian. That's all the madness that's going on. Um, remembering what happened in Woolwich, a few people were shook, and they were like, you know what, what's, what's going on? And that can make you think, you know, that's happening to a guy who's gone out and fought a of war. What about when it happens to Christians? What's going to happen to us? Is the same thing going to happen to us? I mean, people could be thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't need this. I could just walk away. And so maybe this is what was happening with Timothy. You could see that the emperor Nero at that time is a little bit of a madman. Um, he's burning Rome. And so that the blame doesn't come to him, he goes straight to saying that, you know what, it's the Christians who did it. And then now they're after the Christians. So much so that now Nero's got Christians in his courtyard burning. You know what I mean? Just lighting up his courtyard. And Timothy's got to be shook by that. I would be shook by that. But Paul encourages him to keep going. He wants him to reignite the passion um, that he once had. You know what it's like. When you first got saved, you were all out for the Lord. It doesn't matter what it was, you were game for it. Isn't that right? Okay. And you know what? Praise God for the evangelism team who go out and for those who do evangelize, because we need those people who just got saved to come in to keep us old ones going. So Paul wants to reignite the passion that he once, that Timothy once had. And then in chapter two, he says, what you've learned, pass it on. But not just to anybody, but to faithful men first, and then to those who can teach. And he says this the way he says it, you've got to be faithful first, and then you can teach. Not you can teach, you know, and then I'm expecting you to be faithful. No, it's you've got to be faithful first. Because anybody and anybody can just jump in the pulpit and say anything. So those, he's talking about those who are like the soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer. This is still in chapter two. Like a soldier who has to follow his orders and fight, he can't get caught up in things of this world because he's he's on a mission for Christ. And like an athlete is to run to win. He must follow the rules to do so. He can't step out of lane when he's running. And it just reminds me of that verse in Matthew. Um, Narrow is the path to righteousness, but wide is the road to destruction. He's got to make sure that he stays in lane. And like a farmer who must check what he's producing is good enough for others, he must constantly tend to the field. He must constantly look after it. And it just reminds me that he's got to be out there all day. He's not hiring anyone. There's, there is no crop duster at that time. He's not hiring anyone to, to go on, you know, to spray the fields. He has to go out and check himself. He's got to be constant in the And just reminds me of someone who's gonna be taking on the gospel and teaching it to others. This is what they've got to be like. They've got to be like these three guys. And the thing is that these people, they're not ashamed of their lives. If you see a runner, he's running. I don't care who you are. I've got to do my business. If you see a soldier, he's out. He's out and he's doing what he needs to do. Um, to fight the war, to win the war. And the farmer, he gets up, he knows he's got to look after what he's got. And so these people are not ashamed of their lives. They will keep on going. And neither should we. We should not be ashamed. And all the people that he has to pass this message on to, they should be workers for Christ, rightly handling the word of truth. So Timothy has to make sure that they're faithful in what they do in being able to handle the word of truth. Otherwise, the gospel won't go any further than it should. And then in chapter 3, especially since he's talking about, in chapter 3, the last days. So they've got to be able to handle the word of truth, especially with the last days that's coming, that's, that's here already, and people are seeking to satisfy their own desires. But Paul says, you know me, to Timothy. You know my teaching, my conduct. That's the thing that Paul... That's the thing that Paul did. he would teach it, and then he would live it out it's not something where you know he, he would do, he's, he's not gonna, he's, he's going to say it and not do it it's your—it's like, your, it's like your, if your parents you know do as I say, but not as I do it doesn't work. They have to do it first you see them do it, and then you know what you see their conduct and then you will copy it's And then in chapter four, he says, "Preach the word." And now, in our portion of scripture, we see that Paul is ready to hand over to Timothy what was handed over to to him, and he encourages him um, that he will not be alone. So let's um, let's go through our portion of scripture. And if you were here last week. We looked at verses 1 to 8, and in verses 6 to 8, Paul talks about having completed, finished the race, that he's fought the good fight and so on. He talks about his life, and one of the themes of the letter, right back to the beginning of this letter, is that Paul says that you've got to stand firm as a Christian. You've got to be brave. You've got to be courageous. Now, I know there's times, I don't know, you know, after you've... When you first got born again, you had the zeal and you was going through it, and then you just drew back a bit. You know what I mean? And what Paul is saying, you need to be brave. You need to continue being brave, being courageous. You know what I mean? If there's a conversation that is wrong and you know it's wrong, then you need to step in. You know what I mean? And let the people know that, you know what, this is whatever you're talking about or whatever they're talking about is wrong. And he's not to be ashamed of the gospel and not to be ashamed of Paul, his prisoner, Christ's prisoner. So that's the theme of the letter. And in this final section, this theme of standing firm against pressure continues. So let's look at it. In verses um, 9 to 10, Paul says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. Paul longs to see Timothy. He told him that at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 4. And three times in this portion of the text, Paul urges Timothy to come to him. Paul knowing that his, his death is near calls Timothy to come by his side. And that to do your best to come is, is, is make it your priority to come to me. But his longing to see Timothy is not just, it's just not the longing to see an old friend. Maybe he wanted Timothy there because he was still hoping to be released. Um, Part of it may be that he was looking forward to the next missionary journey, but part of it may be that he was longing to see him before he died. My wife's mom, when she was dying, called all her children to her, and she waited for all of them to come. She spoke to them individually, and once she was satisfied, satisfied that she'd seen all and spoken to all, she passed away. And this is something that maybe Paul, this is why he's saying he's longing to see Timothy. He wants Timothy to come so that once he's seen him, that's it, you know, I can move on. Um, I'm ready to, to be with the Lord. But the main reason he's longing to see Timothy is linked to the desertion of Demas in verse 10. And this is a sad verse because it says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas had been one of Paul's inner circle. We see greetings from him in Colossians 4:14 4, and Philemon 24. He'd been one of the inner circle, and now Paul says, "Because he loved this world, he deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. So there's Paul in Rome and Demas has gone to Thessalonica. We don't know what reason Demas gave for gain, but the real reason appears that he had fallen in love with this world. This is to say that he just found Christian service too high a price to pay. It can't have be been much fun in Rome, supporting a visiting prisoner about to be condemned. It's not going to be comfortable physically or socially. Associating with someone accused of treason, and Demas understood the joys of this world and he preferred fresh air to a stinking prison cell. He preferred the company of free people to, to criminals who were in the prison with Paul. He loved this world. He didn't, as Paul speaks in verse eight, love and long for Christ appearing, which, usher, which ushers in the new, the new age to come. He loved this world. And so that's a, that's a sad desertion. And you've got to ask the question, what holds you back from serving the Lord? Is it fear? Is it ability? Is it peer pressure? Acceptance? Do you know that God said he would never leave you nor forsake you? He's an everlasting God. And as we see throughout the scripture, this portion, he's gonna be standing next to Paul If he's standing next to Paul, that means he's standing next to you. And then again in verse 10, Crescens has gone to Galatia, and this is um, north of modern-day Turkey, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia, part of former Czechoslovakia. And Paul doesn't tell us why they've gone there, but they've gone. Crescens we've heard nothing about, but Titus we know was one of Paul's inner circle. And in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul wrote, God who comforts the downcast comforted us with the coming of Titus. And now poor Paul, picture him. There was a, a time in the past when Titus, his friendly, familiar face, someone he could joke with, someone he could share a meal with, someone he could pray with. And we, we all have that person. You know what I mean? Someone that we... We long to see during the week, you know what I mean? Or come Sunday, that's why we do this whole whole fellowship thing at the very end, everyone, no one wants to go home. Everybody is is busy saying hello to everyone. And this is the type of um, relationship that um, Paul had with Titus. And so Titus would have comforted Paul, but now Titus isn't there. And we don't know why he's gone, but he's gone. And then in verse 11 he says, only Luke is with me. Luke, the beloved doctor, as Paul calls him in Colossians. And he's there, and that's a comfort, but he's the only one. Now, you might say, but he's not the only one, because if you look at verse 21, we see that Paul sends Timothy greetings from Eubulus, uh, Puddins, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers in, that is in the fellowship That is the fellow Christians in Rome. So there are Christians in Rome with Paul, some of whom Timothy knows by name. So why does Paul say, Luke alone is is with me? Only Luke is with me in verse 11. And the answer seems to be that only Luke of Paul's team, of the missionary team, of those he worked with closely, those he goes um, a long way back with, those with whom he can laugh with and remember stories and histories and so on. Luke's the only one of that inner circle who's still there with him. And therefore, he's the only one. So how these other brothers and sisters, so somehow these other brothers and sisters, they aren't a substitute for those who um, were with Paul. And then there's Mark in verse 11. Now those for those of you who've read the history in the New Testament, there is a, this is a very moving verse because verse 11 says, get Mark and bring him with, with you. You may say that's not that interesting, but Mark was a cousin of Barnabas. And on their first missionary journey, journey, um, Barnabas and took Mark with them. And at some point in the missionary journey, Mark dropped out and wouldn't, and you don't know why, we don't know why he did that and at the end of the journey when they were thinking about the second missionary journey Barnabas said let's take him let's give him another chance and and take him again and Paul said no we can't take the risks he dropped out the last time he failed um, miserably and you're only saying this because he's your cousin in Acts 15 Luke tells us that Paul and Barnabas had such a bitter disagreement but they didn't go on a missionary journey together. They went their separate ways. They went on different missionary journeys. It was distressing, sudden, and really sad, no doubt, for all three of them. So how come at this late stage, of Paul's life, we can say to Timothy, you can say to Timothy, get Mark, bring him with you because he's helpful, useful to the missionary, useful in missionary. Well, somewhere along the line, the gospel has done its work. And somewhere along the line, there's been reconciliation and forgiveness. Grace has been poured out where there has been resentment and peace restored where there's been conflict. And now they're working together again. And so we see the gospel working, bringing reconciliation against, amongst, sorry, Christian workers. And isn't that what we need in our lives? Life is too short. Too short to hold on to things. Uh, we need to forgive and move on. God stands by you to give you the strength to do this. Don't resist Him. And you know, there's, there's, there's people that, you're, for some reason or other, they've made you vex. You know what I mean? You need to forgive them and move on. The worst thing is to hold on to it because then you become useless to the Lord. How can He use you? You say you love Him who you've not seen but your brother, you hate him. That's a madness. And then in verse 12, Tychicus is sent to Ephesus, which is west of modern-day Turkey, where Timothy is. And no doubt, Tychicus has been sent there to relieve Timothy of his duties so that Timothy can come and join Paul in Rome. And then maybe Tychicus is bearing this letter. Second Timothy, with him. Um, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak. The cloak is a heavy woolen outer garment. It's like, a, it's like a blanket with a hole in the middle of the head. And so Paul, knowing that winter is coming, needs the cloak to keep warm. And he says, bring the books, especially the parchments. We don't know what they were. The books were probably notebooks for writing scriptures down. And the parchments were possibly the Old Testament scripture. But verse 13 shows us Paul's suffering. He feels the cold. He feels the loneliness. He feels the longing to read and for books and so on. To keep his spirit and mind fed. And a cloak to keep him warm. And friends to keep him company. He longs for these things. And that just shows that he's he's human. He's just like us. So in verse 14, he feels hurt. He feels hurt by the harm that Alexander the Great, sorry, Alexander the metal worker has done him. And it's been suggested that Alexander was the informer who informed on Paul falsely so that Paul was arrested. He's the one that got Paul arrested. And this really hurt Paul. Alexander, of course, was a very common name ever since Alexander the Great popularized it. But I think this Alexander may well be the same mentioned in 1 Timothy 1, where Paul has to discipline a false teacher and he's still causing trouble. And Paul says the Lord will repay him for what he's done. He's not out to to get his own back, he's just observing that as a Christian we're not supposed to seek revenge. Is that right? Because one day the Lord will see the justice done, Romans 12:19, and he leaves the judgment to Christ. And there's many of us here that when people have done us wrong, we're like, you know what? I'm coming for you now. <laughs> but the Lord, it's the Lord who will repay. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, I can't remember the scripture, but it's where, it's when one of the angels says, you know what? Said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Because he's not, he's not gonna deal with this fight. It's the Lord's fight. And you've got to remember that. You know what I mean? When someone offends you, you know what I mean? It's not your fight. It's the Lord's fight. And he will deal with them. And he warns Timothy against him. This is against Alexander. I think Alexander is still in or around Ephesus at this time, which is why Paul says to Timothy or warns him, be on your guard against him, be strongly opposed, because he strongly opposed the message. And then Paul goes on in verse 16 to his first defense. And this is where Paul is in the first stages of a Roman trial, a stage where statements are taken and the judge decides whether there is a case to answer or whether he can perhaps give sentence immediately or release the prisoner immediately. And Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. And I think everyone here probably means people who had given statements as witnesses in Paul's support. That is everyone who'd been with Paul in the province of Asia. This is on his missionary trip, which is modern day Turkey. Those who'd been there with him and wherever he'd been arrested, they, they'd come there with him to Rome. And they could have stood up in court and testified on his behalf, in his defense. For one reason or another, they, they, just, they just didn't do it. They just didn't do it at all. And Paul felt that. He felt that desertion. It's been said that Paul, this is Paul's Gethsemane. When all disciples fled from Jesus in the garden, it's the, it's the same... It's Thing that happened to Paul, all deserted him. Verses seventeen to eighteen will we'll come back to later, um, but let's just go to verses nineteen to twenty-two. These are some of the final greetings to, to a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were long-time friends of his, who he met in chapter we met in chapter one. He mentions Erastus. Um, who stayed in Corinth. Maybe he came with Paul when he was on his way, but was arrested and had to stay in Corinth. He may be the Erastus mentioned in Romans, who was the city's chief of public works. And then Trophimus left in Miletus, which is close to Ephesus, and then a greeting from other Roman Christians. And in verse 22, the Lord will be with your spirit, that singular to Timothy, and grace be with you, plural, that is an indication that the letter is to be read out to the whole congregation. So that was the chaos. They've got people all over the place, Dalmatia, Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, there's somebody in Troas with a cloak, Ephesus, Miletus, Galatia, going back and forth for all sorts of different reasons and motives. And now let's, let's look at what we can, we can actually learn from this. Because so far what we may be thinking is, all you've done is given us a history lesson. Listen, as I'm reading it, I know that's what it feels like. It feels like a history lesson. It's been a bit difficult in some places to get through. We, we would need, you know, we'd need someone like Colombo to kind of like help us to fill in the gaps for all the things that we don't know. But there are some things that I can suggest that we can learn from this. There are two challenges for us and then there are two truths about Christ. First of all, the challenges for us. The first challenge is is, is supportive teamwork. That is, we ought to be supportive both to the gospel message and the gospel messengers. And we learn this sadly in this passage um, from Demas. In a negative way, because verse 10, he loved this world, and because he loved this world, he didn't love Christ. He didn't love his appearing, and because he loved this world, he didn't love, um, he didn't love Christ, who is God's messenger, and so he deserted him. And likewise, verse 14, Alexander, who strongly opposed Paul's message, in verse 15. And because he opposed the message, he did harm to the messenger. And the point for for us is this. If we love Christ, we love Christ's gospel. And if we love Christ's gospel, then we will love every Christian brother and sister who is seeking to spread the gospel. And that means everyone. Not just the evangelism team, but every Christian. Because every Christian should be spreading the gospel or should be seeking to spread the gospel. Now that may be very obvious but it's not that easy. It may be quite difficult to do because to be truthful there's people in here we don't like. And even though they're seeking to spread the gospel there's people there's we just find it hard to get on with them. And you know what? It's probably for a good reason. But the point Paul is making is that we're united in our love for Christ and his gospel and we ought to be supportive of one another. We're not to be supportive of everyone who calls himself a Christian, whatever they believe. Whatever they teach. All the New Testament, including this letter, teaches that. There's always been people in the churches whose teaching has been wrong. It has to be opposed and corrected. But will we agree on the fundamentals, the truths of the Christian gospel? We ought to be supportive of one another. And so the second challenge is the lonely challenge, the lonely courage, sorry. This is one of the, the great themes of this letter. Sometimes we will need to be courageous for Christ even if we have to stand on our own. And this is true for every one of us here. If we're Christians, there'll be times when we will be on our own. Maybe some of us in our families, for some of us in our neighborhoods, for some of us, some of us in our workplaces, there'll be times like this. I remember when I used to I used to work, I've got a college now, but I used to work and it was difficult to say that I was a Christian. You know, you'd, they would run a joke, you would laugh, because the jokes are funny, but you're not standing up for Christ. And in my last place of work, I was like, you know what, I've got to, I've got to say something, or I've got to do something, or I've got, to, I've got to be in a particular way where people see me and recognize, okay, you're a Christian. And they did, and I was shook. But I stood up for Christ, I had to. Um, and I'm encouraging you guys to do the same. Stand up for what you believe. Otherwise, why why do you believe it? So, yeah, there'll be times when you're on your own. Um, and then the other Christians, if there are other Christians simply aren't there, they've been sent off to do other things. There, There'll be times when other Christians, even if they're there, are so afraid to put a word out for Christ, they remain silent. And on those occasions, you are you are called, you and I are called to be like Paul, to stand courageously for Christ on our own. But notice in verse 17 how Paul says that even though he was on his own, he was not alone. Verse 17, the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, stood at my side and gave me strength. John said in John 16, you will, leave me, you will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. And just as the Father stood by Jesus at his trial, so at Paul's trial, the Lord Jesus stands by him and gives him strength to speak for Christ. And that same Lord who stood by Paul at his trial to give him strength and to speak for Christ can do the same for, for me and for you. And that leads on to my final point, which are two truths about Christ. Christ is, this is again in verse 17, Christ is determined that all the world should hear the gospel. Paul says the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Why? So that through me the message that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ might be fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. And the word Gentiles here means the rest of the world. And then years before at Paul's conversion, the Lord had said of Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. Acts chapter nine, that's in Acts chapter nine. And now look at the situation that Paul's in. Who's the king that he's, he's, up, he's in front of? It's the Roman emperor, it's Nero. So the question is, how is Paul gonna get Nero into his, into his congregation to hear his message? And the answer is with great difficulty. Paul could invite the Roman emperor to a Sunday service, but he's not going to come. How is the emperor going to get into Paul's congregation? And it's amazing how God works. Paul is arrested and sent off to Rome and stuck in a dungeon for treason. And then the the apostle is then standing in the dock and he's standing in the imperial courtroom. Maybe the emperor himself is in the chair, we don't know. But certainly there would be senior officials there. And he's there for a long enough, he's there long enough to make a statement for Christ. Probably the most difficult sermon he's had to make when his life is on trial. But there he was and, and these Roman officials heard him speak of Christ and what they did What did they do when they heard about? They went away from the courtroom. They talked about the prisoner. They talked about Paul and the court case. They talked about about Paul and his message. Paul regards his appearance in the Roman courtroom in the centre of of, um, of the empire at the end of his ministry. And he's once he's got there, then he's now ready to 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 um to go over. To move on to be with Christ. And it's amazing the way that God works in our lives. And remember, that's a prophecy that was made in Acts nine sixteen, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And there's a truth there. And if we're Christian people, we go through this life and it's, and it's easy and comfortable. And we never make the, the uncomfortable stand for Christ and we never suffer for, for that then that says something about our godliness. But we suffer, and sometimes it's tough because of making a stand for Christ and having the courage to do that, which is never easy, but we suffer. And then we will find that all sorts of surprising people hear about the gospel of Christ. I mean, just looking around in, in this particular building, just looking at the people here, each of us has a circle of friends and neighbors, people we know, many of who are not Christian believers. And it may be that we're the only people who can reach them for Christ. And for the challenge for us is to do that. They challenge me, they challenge, it's a challenge for all of us. Those times when we're on our own, it's difficult. We will stand for Christ and do that. Because Christ is determined that the whole world should hear and I just remember when Brian, Brian abode, he used to, we used to, I used to hang around with his brother, um, and there was a few other guys as well. And we used to come from college, go and hang around um, at his mum's house. Um, this time, Brian had moved out. And we'd always have this little rivalry between us, it, talking about Amigas and PCs. I don't know if you're old enough for Amigas. Maybe some of you are. Amigas and PCs, we all have this little rivalry. And then one day, Brian comes in. And remember, this, at this point, we're not saved. But Brian comes in and talks about Jesus Christ. And we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what? You just messed up our program. What's, that, what's this about? Because, you know, we're young boys at that age, and we're doing stupidness. But Brian comes in, regardless, you know what I mean? He's He's preaching the gospel. And it got to the point where we were, you could say we were praying that he didn't turn up. (laughs) But he continued, you know what I mean? He wouldn't let go. And to the point where all he needed to do was just get one of us on our own. And that, that was it. You know, we just we fell. But praise God. You know what? He he continued. And this is why we're here today. This is why some of us are still here today. It's because, you know what, Brian, listen to the Lord. And then lastly, to encourage us in verse 18, Christ is determined to get every Christian safely into his heavenly kingdom. Verse 18 is a statement of confidence. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And Paul doesn't mean he's going to be rescued in the sense of saved from death or imprisonment because the evil attack is to to make him give up his faith. And he's going to be rescued from that. And I can see that with the whole Woolwich thing, people were shook. And that in itself made, made you think, you know what, I'm ready to give up. But once you believe in the Lord, he's holding on to you. Um, it's like, well, I can't remember which pastor it was, but he says if he's carrying, if he's walking with his grandchild and he's crossing the road, it's, it's not, I'll oh, hold my hand, it's no. It's a death grip. I'm holding you, and I'm crossing you. I'm taking you across the road, and that's what the, that's with the Lord. The Lord is holding us, and He's going to make sure that we we get through. And He so says He's going to bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's a, here's the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is determined. <laughs> If you are Christian believers, He's determined to get us safely into, the heavenly, into His heavenly kingdom, and He was for poor. And when we get there, there'll be joy. There'll be, you know, we'll be, we'll be like, wow, you know, you made it. And we'll look around, and you know, you'll look around, you'll see me, and you'll say, wow, how come you got here? <laughs> yeah. And I might say the same thing about you, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing. The Lord is determined that we, as believers, get into heaven. The Lord said he will never leave us or forsake us. He's always going to be there. It doesn't matter through suffering, through courage, um, through loneliness. He's determined to get every believer into the kingdom. And he's going to do it. And when he does it, it will be all glory to him and it will be none to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we can't be taken out of his hand. Thank you, Lord, that you you hold on to us Um, as we turn our our lives. Everything that we have to you, you hold on to us and you make sure that we will continue. And Lord, it's not the fact that we'll be saved from death or saved from suffering. It's none of that. It's it's so that we will be saved, um, continue to be saved in you, continue to be faithful to you. So, Lord, help us, we pray. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this congregation that's here. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that they will cast all their cares onto you because you care for them. Help them not to be afraid of approaching you, Lord. You're open 24-7, Lord always ready to hear everything that we've got to say, no matter how mad it is, Lord. Let me just read the Psalms. You're there for us. Help us to recognize that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.